Relationships, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes you're left picking up the pieces. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about getting connected to right relationships, strong relationships, and how to make maybe okay relationships a little bit better. So I hope that you'll hang with us, but I also hope that you'll listen to some of the people of Northwest Arkansas that we've gone on the street and we've interviewed them uh, just to give you a feel and a flavor for what's going on in the hearts and the minds and the relationships of people right here in our area. Someone who is always there for you no matter what and they, like, they don't betray you, they don't let you down. The best friend, I think trust is real important. Trust and understanding uh, each other and, and uh, in times of challenging times, upside or downside, I think trust is real key. Um, and I think also understanding, you know, understanding if, it's, if, it's, if the matter is confidential, it needs to be discussed you know, in a confidential manner. So friendship is, I have a lot of friends, so I understand that. Somebody that you can lean on when you need them and somebody who you know when you call them, they're going to be there for you. It's somebody who's loyal. Loyalty is uh, one of the highest qualities that I hold uh, for both myself and my friends. And so loyalty means somebody's going to be there for you no matter what, no matter what's happening in their life. Trust yeah. defines a best friend to me. Uh, someone who cares as much about you as he or she does himself. A problem in your life or if there's great joy, they're going to be there for you and with you. Somebody that you can go to with any problem, with any concern, who also has the same freedom to come to you. I have a lot of people like that, uh, mainly, mainly guy friends I've known for 20 years, 30 years, that I can trust under, you know, under, under uh, different circumstances. Yeah, I do. I have a best friend like that. I haven't needed her as much as she's needed me recently, but she called me one day, and I live here in town, and she called me one day and says, I'm in Joplin, I'm in the hospital, and I really want you to be here. And I drove over there the next day. I went to work that night and told them I couldn't come in for the rest of the week. And I think that's what makes the best friend. I know she'd do that for me, too. We moved here six years ago from Little Rock, and I met with a group of men in Little Rock uh, every Thursday and every Saturday and with those men we shared life's experiences uh, our, our good times bad times we did things together aside from our meeting I actually have several friends my best friends are kind of scattered throughout the US um, but they're guys that I can go to that I talk to at least I talk to at least one of them every day I think every best friend I've had has and sometime left me down. I didn't used to think that way, but over the years, like, I always made that one person everything to me. Like, I cared about them, and then every time I seem to get let down, and something usually happens where it doesn't, it just doesn't work out. All right. Welcome to Connect. Hopefully a, a series of messages that you will walk out of here, you will leave here and win with, all right? Hopefully that in the whole relationship scheme and game of life that uh, you haven't lost a lot. But I realize that relationships, again, you win some, you lose some. And we're all playing the game to some degree or another. And there's, sometimes there's no guarantee that you are going to win. But I do think that in life, if we have those right relationships, that if we will connect with the right people, that I believe that you can be on your way to a winning life, a winning relationship, 
satisfaction, contentment in life, bar, barring any kind of, I guess, salary or whatever. But right relationships, right connections are absolutely vital to the whole process of winning in life. Now, I have here on, uh, uh, I'm really, I uh, have a high IQ, so I thought, what can I bring up here that, uh, that matches my IQ that uh, we can play together today that kind of symbolizes this? Now, you all know the game, right? You played it as a child. Uh, it is the standard game. Everybody has played it or seen it or something like that. But you know the, you know the trick here. The trick is, is that you've got to connect four in a row, and somehow you've got to find, in, in, in some kind of strategy kind of way, You've got to find where you're going to connect without getting blocked along the way. Now, in this whole thing, there are you just got to connect four in a row. Now, they're blocking you, and there's mess-ups, and there's things that happen all along the way. But, but, but connecting four is the way you win. Now, I want to propose to you today and throughout the next four weeks that you need four relationships in your life. Four relationships for you to win. Four relationships for you to, I guess, go to the next level, if you want to call whatever that next level is. Four relationships to go the distance. Now, that's the Connect Four side of things. If you've got these four relationships, I really believe they can make a huge difference in your life. Now, there's a book that's just been written by Leonard Sweet. He says there are 11 indispensable relationships that everybody needs to have. I think I've taken a, a pretty good look at that book, pretty good look at life, and think that, you know, maybe there's 11. I think all 11 of those are actually key relationships. But I looked at, and I think there's at least four that are indisputable. Maybe the others, give or take, you might have them at different points and periods of your life. But four, you got to have. To really go the distance to really leave a legacy, to really make it, to make it through this life that we sometimes call a game, sometimes we call it chaos, but whatever it is. Really, I want you to just take home over the next four weeks the realization and be looking in your life for four, these four relationships. Because if I have these four relationships, then I really believe it will complete me on a physical level. All right, now I'll just go on and give you the, there's a free one on house, so I'll make it five. You've got to have a relationship with God, okay? So in case you came here and you, you didn't know that one, okay, I'm assuming you know that one. But uh, four relationships on this earth while you're living that absolutely are indispensable relationships. Now, we're going to make a man in Scripture our lab rat, okay? We're going to watch this guy, and this guy in particular, for the next four weeks, and we're going to look at his life. And we're going to see how this one man had these four relationships. And these four relationships, I really believe, helped him get through some, some hills and some valleys and some good times and some bad times. It helped him bring reality to, to his own life. It helped check him, kept him in line when he got out of line. These four relationships are foundational. And the guy that we're going to look at for the next four weeks is David. Now, we know David is the king. We know David is the one with Bathsheba. We know David in many different lights. We know David is the shepherd boy. We know David is the guy who wrote the, a lot of the Psalms, and he wrote them. And we, we know David is the harp player who played for King Saul. We know David in so many different lights. But if we can just take David's life over the span of First and Second Samuel, and if we could just say, okay, let's take David's life, and let's see how this boy, think about it, how this boy went from being a sheep herder and a lunch boy carrier, and we'll talk about that in a minute, how he went from being a shepherd boy to the greatest, listen, the greatest king Israel has ever had. 
And how is it that he has such an influence on the Old Testament writings that he has written a very large, he would be in the top three of the writers of all the Old Testament? How is it that this shepherd boy went to be a king that has such an influence over Israel to this day to be still recognized as the greatest king of Israel ever? I have to say that tied into his life, now we can look at people in this world and we can say, oh, you know, Sam Walton was a self-made man. And we can look at people in, the, in this world and we can say, oh, that person, you know, they're where they are because they were born into a certain family. Or if I had the capital and the resources that that person had, that I would be where they are too. And we can look at and blame and point fingers at, but I really believe hidden behind every person of great impact, and I'm becoming more and more convinced of this, Every person of great impact, it's not my vision, though vision fits into it. It's not my ambition, though ambition fits into it. It's not just my, my entrepreneurial spirit, though entrepreneurial may fit into it. It is the relationships that I have that will help make and determine how far I go. Those closest to me will determine the level of my success. Now, what is success for you? And we're talking about your relationship with God, or we're talking about your relationship in your marriage, or we're talking about your job, or we're talking about your neighborhood, or we're talking about whatever you do, your ambitions. Those closest to you will determine the level of your success. Now, my question for you, as we think about this, who are the four indispensable people in your life? that are helping to shape you. Now, every message, there will be one word that will latch on to, that you'll hopefully take home with you, that you'll hopefully add into your prayer life, that you'll take this word and say, okay, now, who is my fill-in-the-blank? Who is my fill-in-the-blank? Every week, and you may be going through this, and you have your message notes, and you're, you're, you're jotting them down, and you may say, you know what? I used to have this person, but I don't have him anymore. Who is it now, God? Who can I develop that relationship with so I can have that person again? Today we're going to look at the one word, and this is the phrase, everyone needs a companion. All right? Everyone needs a companion. Now, if you don't have a companion, in the end, you will lose. All right? The game's over. Pick up the pieces and figure it out. The, this is very, very important. And, and everyone needs a companion, so you need to ask the question, who's my soulmate? Who's my soulmate? Who in my life is the companion that, and we'll talk about that in, in full, so I'll just leave it at that. This, the second relationship that we need that we'll talk about next week is accountability. And the question you ask on that one is, who, who's asking me the tough questions in life? Who's out there that's asking me the questions that, you know, they're sticking their skinny little finger in my face, and, and they can read me like a book, and, and they know when I'm lying, and, and they know when I'm, when I'm saying everything's okay, but everything's not okay. And they know when I haven't done everything that I should. Who's keeping you accountable? The, the third word is acceptance. Who am I crossing the line? Who am I crossing the line with right now? That I think somebody's on the other side of that, that wall trying to come in, I don't know. Uh, they're trying to get out, I don't know. Uh, who's crossing the line and, 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 and that I am embracing? Who's different than me? Who looks different than me? Who acts different than me? Who believes different than me? Who, who am I accepting and who is accepting me? And the final relationship that we all need is who is my protege? That's your legacy. That's your legacy. 
Where is my legacy going from my life, from here, from this point forward? Now, all these questions tie directly to these four relationships that we absolutely need in our life. So take your Bibles. Be finding the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel 18. And I want to emphasize today that everyone needs a companion. Now, immediately when I say that, I just know and I almost cringe in my own skin that I know that immediately we think of, that means I need to be married. Or that, that I, I need to better my relationship with my marriage. You know what? It, 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 yes. You, your first relationship, your companion first, you absolutely should be your spouse if you're married, okay? But it's not limited to that. In fact, I will take you today and I will show you from Scripture today that I really think that it's not just having a, a, a spouse and having a close companionship there, but it's having a companion beyond your marriage. It's going beyond your marriage and looking outside of your marriage and having somebody who adds value to your life and to your relationships way beyond that. It's, it's more than a spouse. It's more than a friend. It's more than a network. It's more than a counselor. It's more than a colleague. A companion is much deeper than that. A companion goes back to the word I used before, who is your soul mate. Now, you're looking at a guy who doesn't need a lot of relationships. And so even as I'm preparing this message you know, there's some people, they've got to have a lot of friends. I don't necessarily have to. That doesn't mean that I'm stronger than they are or whatever. In fact, they may be more rounded off than I am. But I'm realizing, even as I'm going through this, that I need to look at my life and I need to ask the question, who is my soul knit with? Not knit with, knit together, all right? Who is my soul joined together with that we are, we're, we're on the same page, we're believing a lot of the same things, this person is with me through thick and thin. The, the, the relationship that David had here was with a man named Jonathan. Now Jonathan, we don't know anything about Jonathan until he's about 30. He didn't even appear in Scripture until he's about 30. He's the commander-in-chief of his father's army, Saul, who was the king at the time. So David was growing up under the, the king of, of Saul. In about 30, he meets a boy, or he, he meets, uh, a, a, I guess, a man that was probably equal in age, a man named Jonathan. And Jonathan and he immediately, through a chain of events, hit it off. Now, this is where I have to say that a companion that I'm speaking of is more than a, than a spouse. Now, I would say this. First and foremost, your spouse needs to be your number one companion. All right? David had, we can count at least six or seven wives. Now, all I need is one, okay? And I'm fine. I'm content. I'm happy with one. David needs six or seven, and still he needed a companion beyond that. And so I'll say this, that you need a companion even beyond your spouse. So who is it that you are linking with that is your soulmate that you're, that you're bonding with? This is what Aristotle said. He said, anyone who doesn't need company is either greater than a man and is God and is a God or lesser than a man and is a beast. So if you're anywhere between that, if you're either a beast or you're God, then you probably don't need a friend and probably won't have a friend if you're a beast. But if you're anywhere in between... This, this philosopher of old is saying we all need companionship. We all need relationships. And I'll go so far as to say this. If you look at the very beginning of time, even God 
is entered into a relationship, into a community. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, when God created the heaven and the earth, you see God the Father represented there. You look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, and you see the Spirit represented in Genesis 1 2. If you go to John chapter 1 verse 1, you'll find that Jesus was in the beginning. So in the very beginning of time, when everything was perfect and everything was beautiful, even God was living in community. He had God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Then we roll them up into one and we say that they're they're the same. At the same time, they're different. So God is living in community. Even Even in the heavenlies, God is in community. He had companion. If you think also again about Genesis. When Genesis was written in the very first, it was perfect. The earth was perfect. It was formless and void and it was beautiful and perfect and everything was right and good. But what happens when God creates Adam? He says it's not good. The very first thing that God noticed that wasn't good in His creation was whenever mankind was alone. And so He created him a companion. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 on the screen. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. A companion. Everybody needs a companion. Everybody needs a soulmate. If you think about Jesus, when Jesus was walking on the earth, when Jesus was serving on the earth, when Jesus was healing, when Jesus was doing His ministry, He's still God, He's still perfect, He's still sinless, He's still all of those things. But even God, even Jesus, needs and wants companionship. Mark chapter 3, verse 14 says, Jesus appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with Him. Underscore that last phrase in your notes. That they might be with Him. Did, 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 did Jesus really need 12 Yahoo misfits? No. But something about it, He needed that companionship. He needed that relationship. So let me tell you the story about David. David is a shepherd boy. He's a harp-playing shepherd boy who, you know, probably went out, took his sheep grazing in the fields and took his harp with him and leaned against the tree and would write songs. That's the way I picture David. Well, David had some older brothers, and they were of war age, and so they were off to war. They were off to battle. And so as they went off to war, David was left. Somebody has to take care of the farm, so David's left taking care of the sheep. And as he's tending the sheep... Dad calls him in, mom calls him in, somebody calls him in and says, hey, we need to take lunch to your brothers. So I'm just imagining brother, the lunch boy carrying brother, is sent to the front lines with PB&J to give to his brothers on the front line as they're fighting in battle. So he goes off to war. Now, just imagine this. He goes off to war for 40 days. They have been being harassed by this Galuth called Goliath. He's ten foot tall, as best we can reckon. And as he is, uh, uh, as he is facing and hearing all the taunting and all the chatter and all the fear and all that going on, David's looking around. Why isn't somebody going out and knocking this kid in the head or knocking this giant in the head? And so David says, if nobody else, and I'm giving you the McDaniel paraphrase version, if nobody else is going to put on their big boy pants, I'm going to go out and do it. 
All right, so he gets his sling and he gets his, his rocks, which probably he used 101 times to chase off little wolves from, from chasing his chief or uh, his, his sheep. And uh, so as he gets his rocks and his, his sling and he goes out and he nails this giant. You've heard it. You heard the story in, in kindergarten class when he nails the, the giant in the head and, and beats him. Now, again, this all happens in a day. So he then is introduced to Saul. Saul says, who defeated the giant? He is taken to Saul. Saul introduces himself, and Jonathan, the commander-in-chief, is there. And Jonathan hands him his sword, hands him his robe, and immediately a relationship is born. An identity is made at that point, and a relationship is birthed and begins to happen. Just imagine this boy woke up, a shepherd boy, and went to bed, with a prince's sword, living in the king's palace, a part of the royal household. What a day. A day in his life that he'll never forget. But that is big, having the prince's sword and having the royal robes and the royal servants in the palace because he never went back home, it says. He went and lived in Saul's household. But the real thing that really makes the impact is not, listen, 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 listen is not what he gained materially on that day. It wasn't the position that he gained in the royal household. Because we'll see in history that he will lose that. We know in our own lives that the fading of silver shiny swords passes real quickly when we leave them in the rain. We realize that the material is not the greatest gain in David's life that day. It wasn't the palace. It wasn't the prestige. It wasn't the fame. Fame fades. What he gained on that day, he never lost until his death. And it was a man named Jonathan who became a companion in life for him. Who became a companion whenever his world was being rocked because Saul was trying to kill him because David became more popular than Saul. Who was it that informed him that you're about to be killed by the king? It was Jonathan. Who was it that formed this, uh, this never-ending relationship that, that was alive until death? It was Jonathan. Jonathan and David developed a companionship there that absolutely blossomed and made it, I believe, was one of the key things that made David who he was, enabled him to go where he went in his life. First uh, Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. First Samuel in the Old Testament. If you go to Second Samuel, obviously you've gone too far. First Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul. That the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. And Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. With his armor, including his sword and his bow, and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. I want you to see again the relationship. I want to ask the question of your own life. Who is your soulmate? Who is your companion? Beyond your marriage, who is it that you can link up with like that? What does companionship look like? Two qualities. Jot them down real quickly. The first quality that you can't get away from is there was a mutual emotional bond that happened between these two. 
It was mutual emotional bond. Soul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. There was a bonding. There was an emotional connection. There was, it was mutual. These three words are absolutely key, so I want to break them down for you real quickly. One, you've got to understand it was a mutual thing. They shared. It was common. It was equal. It wasn't that Jonathan's up here and David's down here and I'm the prince and now you're going to be my little servant boy. There was no kind of relationship like this. You, you, you saw what Jonathan did. He gave him his robe. Now, hold it, Jonathan's the, the prince. The prince gave his robe to him, gave him his sword, gave him his belt. What was he saying? He was saying, listen, you're equal with me and I'm equal with you. And, and in fact, Samuel was the one who had, um, had already anointed uh, uh, David to be king someday. So there was a mutual, uh, even playing field. You ever been in a relationship when somebody wants to take that relationship further than you do? Or you want more of a relationship than they do? Mutual relationships are very key to the whole thing. They connected on a way here that, that was very much even, very much the same. Cicero, a second century Greek philosopher, said it like this, a true friend, so to speak, is a second self. What's that mean? A second self means that I'm here and they're there. They're thinking what I'm thinking. We're on the same. It's a mutual thing. It's also an, an emotional thing. It was soul to soul, spirit to spirit. Soul to soul, spirit to spirit. They had connected themselves. Who, again, is your soulmate? There are three kinds of relationships, if you want to look at it like that, in life. One is a mouth-to-ear relationship. A mouth-to-ear relationship is really kind of a relationship where you maybe are the superior one in the relationship or somebody else is the superior one in the relationship, and it's their mouth speaking to your ear and you respond. This could be a teacher. This could be a counselor. This could be a boss. It's really hard to have a mutual emotional bonding relationship with somebody that is your boss or somebody that's your teacher. There are just limits. It just doesn't happen the same way. Now, you can connect with with students if it's a student. You can connect with a colleague if it's a colleague. But it's really, really hard to go into that kind of emotional bonding if it's anything that, that's a bit, a bit awkward. It, a mouth-to-ear relationship is not what I'm talking about when I talk about soulmate. The second one is a head-to-head relationship. Now, you can have a head-to-head relationship with anybody that you have some kind of an agreement with. I mean, you can pay and watch the Razorbacks barely win again last night. And, uh, you know, and with a bunch of guys, you can grunt and groan with them and make weird noises and smells and all that kind of stuff and eat food. And, and, and okay, you can do all of that. And you're a head-to-head relationship with them. You're okay. You, you, you have something you're, you're in agreement on. Ladies, you can be a, you know, on a soccer, be the soccer mom and pull up and put out your lawn chair and watch the kids play and really bond with some ladies there. And you have a relationship with them. They have a relationship with you. And, you know, you may even develop it to the point that you're walking through the neighborhood with them and exercising with them. But it's really not a soulmate relationship. Now, we'll have a lot of head-to-mouth and we'll have a, or a mouth-to-ear. And we'll have a lot of head-to-head relationships in life. But I am so convinced that very few times do we have a heart-to-heart relationship. Heart-to-heart is what happened with David and Jonathan. The New International Version says it like this, that Jonathan became one in spirit with David. 
You know, when, when, they, when Paul was writing about relationships in Romans chapter, chapter 12, he said a very beautiful statement. He said, you need to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, I'm convinced that if you have a soul relationship with somebody, a, a, a real emotional bonding, a mutual emotional bonding thing going on with somebody, that you have what Jonathan David, is that you're going to go with them through thick and thin. You're going to rejoice when they rejoice, and you're going to weep when they weep. Now, guys are not good at this. We're really not. But I want to tell you, I have an example right here in Scripture of a guy who went from being a shepherd to being a king. And I dare say to you today that one of the success elements of his life is that he had a companion that walked with him, served with him, watched out for him, rejoiced with him, wept with him when he was weeping. Think about it. The third element that we said, it's a mutual emotional bond that happens. A bond is unbreakable. A bond doesn't, doesn't quit. You've got to understand David's situation. David became more popular in a day. <laughs> in a day, he became more popular than Saul. In fact, it goes on to say that there was a chorus going on. I didn't tend to read this verse, but it's down... In, uh, in verse 7, it says, The women sang and they played and they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. When that, when that new hit song on the radio hit, hit Saul's iPod and he heard that for the first time, oh, my lands, it, it, it was over. Jealousy. He became a paranoid king. He had the rightful, I mean, he was the rightful king. He was the king, but he was a paranoid, egocentric king. Well, that, that caused problems because now his heir to the throne, Prince John, Jonathan, knows that, that David, his best friend, soulmate, is now has his head on the chopping block. Why is it that, that, that Jonathan doesn't follow through with his command to kill his, his best friend? Because they had a deep, mutual Emotional bond. And that bond is called a covenant. I talked about it just briefly last week when we talked about a covenant relationship. Contracts are based on legalities or based on laws and rules and you're watching out for your own back. A covenant is based on when you're watching out for the other person's back. I didn't marry Lori in a contractual relationship where I'm watching out for my own best interest. I married Lori in a covenant relationship, watching out for her best interest and her for mine. And so when they entered into this covenant relationship, it was, I'm going to watch your back, you watch my back. And you see it uh, laid out here in verse 3, in verse, chapter 18, verse 3, it says, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. They entered into a relationship that wasn't going to be broken. Do you have a relationship that's on the rocks right now? One that you're kind of hung up and giving up on? A companion is not contractual, biological, or conditional. It is covenantal. Eddie Gibbs and Ryan Bollinger said it like this. People are both hungry for relationships and yet at the same time ill-prepared for the cost involved in culture in which 
in a culture in which casual relationships or contractual relationships are the norm, it is difficult to build relationships on deep foundations that can survive disagreements and disappointments. People are more prone to walk away when the going gets difficult than to work through a crisis to the point where a new depth of understanding is reached. Most people buckle and go to some other relationship. They'll either leave their marriage, they'll leave their job, they'll leave their friends, and just move on. But when you have a companion, you don't just move on. You go through it, life thick and thin. We have a crisis in our nation, and I don't think we realize it. It's kind of like you've heard the illustration of turning up the, the water, the boiling water on the frog. It's kind of like the water is getting hotter and hotter, and I think everybody in this room and beyond this room doesn't even realize it. It's like we're starting to boil and we're starting to fall apart in this area of relationships, and we don't even realize it. We've become so technical, so fast-paced, so non-relational in our culture that I think our culture and inside of us, because God is even in a perfect world, wants us in relationship. Because of that, we're not connecting and we're just falling apart. It's not happening for us. An opinion, the National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago released a study in June of 2006. Listen to these statistics. 25% of Americans, that's 75 million people, say that they have no one to confide in. No one to confide in. One in four Americans literally go through life, experience life, with no life-on-life relationships that they can sort through life with. No one to confide in. One in four. Nearly half of the population, 43.6%, says that they share or discuss important matters with no one or only one other person. Now, if you have one other person, at least you've got one other person. But a lot of people, nearly half the people, don't have anybody to share anything with. And if you think it's getting better, listen to this. And, and for those who have confidants, those who do have that one person, that companion, that soulmate, their inner circle of friends has decreased from the average of three to two. It means we're not getting more friends, we're getting less friends. We're not opening up more, we're closing it down more. We're not becoming more technical, we're, we're not becoming more touched, we're becoming more technical in our lives. A companion is a person that you really have a soulmate relationship with. The second thing. The second the quality of a companion is that not only is there a mutual, emotional bond, but there's also self-sacrificing love. And, you know, I didn't say love, and I didn't say sacrificing. You've got to put the self in front of that, to where it's not about me. Now the relationship becomes more than about me. What did Jonathan do? He took off his robe and he put it on somebody else. A symbol of, to say that I'm not worthy to be the king, to be the heir to the throne. You are. He entered into a relationship, a covenant relationship, that was, that was so serious and so binding that they weren't going to be separated. There, there was going to be a connection there that was, that was going to last and to the very end. 
love talked about is cheap. Love demonstrated is the real stuff. And I think what we see in the life of Jonathan again and again is real stuff relationship. Verse, uh, verse 1, he says it like this. He said, And Jonathan loved him, who's him, David, as himself. And if that wasn't good enough, just to make it really clear, in verse 3 he says, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David and because he loved him as himself. Underscore those phrases. Twice. He loved himself. He lo- he loved David as much as he loved himself. Now, you, you and I both know that it's real easy to take care of numero uno. Numero uno. We do really good about making sure we're clothed, fed, watered, taken out to wherever. And, you know, we, we, we take care of number one really good. But what he said here is that I have a relationship with somebody that not only am I going to look out for my interest, but at the same degree I'm looking out for numero uno, I'm looking out for my companion, my soulmate. Now there have been some in recent days that have tried to make David and Jonathan's relationship immoral, ungodly. Um, And there is absolutely nothing to support that. I think what it is, and I think even in the immoral relationships that I speak of, I think it is a reaction in our culture because we don't have companions. Because we don't have strong, deep emotional relationships. We're missing it with our fathers. Our children are missing it from us. We're missing it in our work relationships. We're missing it we're just missing it. And so we turn to, to the wrong stuff. And the thing is, is that Jesus said the very same. Jesus builds on what Jonathan and David's relationship. This is how I know it's not an immoral relationship because they, Jesus builds on it. He said, you, you know, you want the crypt notes on Jesus' life? Here they are. Love God and love others. Because as he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is in Matthew 22. To love your neighbor as yourself. What's he saying? To love yourself here, okay? Well, love your neighbor at the same. What did Jonathan do? He loved David the same. What did David do? He loved Jonathan the same. Self-sacrificing means that I'm no longer numero uno. Now I am going to serve others. I, in, first, in second grade, my first time in second grade, I'll say it like that. Uh, you'll figure that out. Um, it was a tough year. There was a divorce going on in the family um, in, 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 between my mother and stepdad. Uh, I was not the best student in, in, in the school. And... Um, didn't care. Um, really didn't care at all. And so I went to school to play. And uh, it was a way to get away from the home. It was a place to go. And so there I was. And so that's what it was. It was my play year. Then I actually passed the second year with A's. I did learn a few things to catch up. But um, I can remember being a loner that year in school. And, and, uh, and actually one week, uh, mother sent me to school with my lunch money, which then it was $2. I don't know what it is this nowadays. But it was $2 for an entire week of, of lunch. And so I lost it. 
And I did. I actually lost it. It was really true. I lost it. But mother, my mother replaced it the next day. And uh, then, uh, like a week or so later, I, I guess I pulled those same jeans out of the out of the out of my drawer and, and put them back on. And I'm at school and I find two dollars. So yeah, I remember. And now there they are. Okay. Uh, I didn't turn it back into my mother, but I actually turned it around and invested it. I there was a I didn't have any friends. I was a loner, and so I'm telling you my sad stories of life and. Uh, I turned to two guys that were in the class that were sitting next to me. I can remember very clearly they're on the right. I can even picture their faces. They were against the wall. I was one aisle over. And I, I turned to them because I didn't have anybody to play with at recess. And so I said, if I give both of you a dollar, will you be my friend? And so I bought friends on that day. They were cheap then, a dollar a piece, and you could have two friends. And, and I didn't expiration date on it or anything. But I'll tell you today, I don't know who those kids are. I don't remember their names. I don't remember anything about them other than their faces on that day, and I think we played together until I got going or something like that, and, and we moved on. And so they at least honored their, their whole contractual relationship here, but that's not what a companion is. See, a companion is somebody, one, is there's that, there's that deep emotional mutual bond that goes on, but there's also a self-sacrificing love. When... You have a need, I'll be there. You think, Mike, I would love to have that kind of relationship. Where do you find those relationships like that? I'll tell you right now, you don't find them. It's, 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 not, a, it's not a lucky nickel that you find, or $2 you find in your pocket. Friends like that are developed. They're nurtured. It's a diamond that's still in the rough that you bring out and you clean up and you spend time with and you love and you nurture. And I really believe that, especially guys, and so this is probably 75% to the guys today, but we have a hard time with this, developing this kind of deep companionship. But again, how did David go from being a shepherd boy to being a king? I believe in part it was because he had a companion a soulmate, to help him get there. So how do you, how, where do you develop these two things I want you to jot down and remember? Number one, put yourself in right environments for healthy relationships. Put yourself in the right environment for healthy relationships. Now, I'll tell you right now, we, we are all about environments here at Grace Point. Now, in case you didn't know, this is a worship service, but we can't make you worship. I mean, some of y'all are still blown away that we opened up with a Friends uh, theme song. Uh, even though, you know, what? It couldn't be a more beautiful song for what a real friend is. And so, you know, we can't make you worship. We can't throw worship at you. We can't twist your arm and worship. We can't give you enough coffee to wake you up to worship. All right? What we do here at Grace Point is we create environments environments so that you can come, that hopefully the music you'll identify with, the message you'll identify with, the testimonies you'll hear you can identify with, you'll identify, 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 because we have created an environment that encourages your worship. That's our goal. We really realize that all we do, we have a creative worship planning team, and we spend hours putting together videos, slides, testimonies, everything, just to create an environment to worship. We also create environments of relationships. 
An environment of a relationship is where what we want to do is we want to put people in homes in, with affinities, with, with maybe similar ages or whatever. We, we, don't, we don't sort people out. But what we do is we create environments in homes where you can meet people. And hopefully, 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 when you meet somebody, you will find your next soulmate. Can't guarantee it, but soulmates are hard to find. But if we can create an environment, and hopefully in that environment, maybe sitting in somebody's home for a couple hours a week or every other week or something like that, hopefully there will be an environment that that can happen. And around this room, you'll see Bella Vista, Bentonville, Rogers South, and anything south that refers to is anything south of Rogers, Lowell, Springdale, all that area. We have different tables today, and we're going to break in just a little bit and allow you to go to these tables, and hopefully you'll find new groups that are just now forming, just now. And if you're not a part of a group, now's the time, baby. And hopefully in that opportunity, you'll find an environment where you might find a companion, a soulmate for life. Here's the second thing, though, if you're going to develop these kind of companions, is to learn how to be a companion. Oh, this is key. Oh, oh, my lands. I would love a friend, but I want to gossip about him. I would love a good deep down friend, but, you know, if they don't look out for me, then I'm not going to look out for them. And, you know, that self-serving kind of mentality... Companionship against, and we'll go back on through that. But learn how to be a friend. Here's a, here's a verse for you. Let's all read it out loud together. Proverbs 18:24. A man that has friends must himself be friendly. Now is that pretty clear? Don't wait for the friend to come to you. You be the friend that goes to them. Where do you learn this? I think there's no better way to learn this than to look at the relationship that Jesus Christ wants to have with you. I was thinking this week, where you know, think about the relationships I've had in my life. Think about these other different people in the Bible. But then I just came down to the, the sheer relationship that I have with Jesus. That's awesome, wonderful, beautiful. Think about this word, these words, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will share a meal together as friends. Jesus wants to be your friend. He wants to be your Savior, your Lord, your Master. He wants to be all those things, but He wants to be your friend. Companions are initiators. Jesus stood at the door and He's knocking. You're going to have to take the initiative to go and to meet people and to get into these groups. You'll be uncomfortable. Yes, it will be uncomfortable at first. It's uncomfortable for everybody. And the great thing about these, these are all new groups, so everybody's uncomfortable, right? Companions won't force a relationship. Jesus says, I knock, you open. Okay? I'm going to be here. I'm available. Let's enter into a relationship. Companions, live life on life. He says, I will share a meal together with you. I will live my life with you. That's what Jesus was. That's what He wants to do. Would you pray with me? Father, You want to lead and be our friend. You initiated a relationship with us. Thank You for being a model companion. Thank You for being a companion who will ride out the storms. Father, I also pray that You will give us companions right here, right now.
Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We bless you in Jesus' name.